Welcome to the 168th episode of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. You may think that this is Anthony Samaroff finally having overcome that Scottish accent of his, but unfortunately you'd be wrong. This is Gene Epstein from New York City, an admirer of Anthony, who's been told by Anthony that he can take over the podcast for the ensuing episode. Although Anthony, I believe, is in the theater. Anthony, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Anthony is here. Okay. So I've usurped the podcast, a Jew from New York, taking it over from a Jew from, are you in Dublin? Uh, where, are you? Uh, where are you, Anthony? Right now I'm in Florida, Gene. You're in Florida? <laughs> You've not been oh keeping God. up. Oh my God. Are you, you were, oh, is that right? You're, oh, wow. Oh, oh, because you hang out at Tom Wood's house all the time. Is that it? He can't get rid of you. Where are you? Where are I'm you? in Jacksonville, a couple of hours drive away from Tom. Oh, oh, I, I see. Yeah, I have a pretty, pretty funny story about that, actually. Uh, we drove down last weekend to meet up with him for dinner, only to find that uh, we drove down on the wrong day. So uh, that was uh, pretty funny. Uh, story just, of your life, Anthony. Story of your life. Uh, but uh, but anyway, I, I want to welcome uh, another guest. I only live about uh, 70 blocks downtown from him, so I've gotten the opportunity to have dinner with him on several enjoyable evenings uh, that have been very uh, informative. Epidemiologist Knut Woodkowski, welcome, Knut, to the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Good afternoon. Okay, Thank yes. you very much for having me. Yes. Now, uh, I, uh, I, I want to cut to the chase since Anthony tells me that we're going to have only 40 minutes of air time and uh, there's a lot to cover from Knut. I can only say that he is an epidemiologist with at least 35 years of experience. He has a PhD in computer science from the University of Stuttgart and a Doctor of Science degree in medical biometry from the University of Tübingen, both top German universities, and I won't apologize for mispronouncing those names. And then in addition to that, uh, he uh, stepped down about a year and a half ago from a 20-year stint at Rockefeller University. So uh, he's got a lot of experience, and he's been quite outspoken about uh, the, uh, the COVID-19 scare. Uh, I'm going to be asking the questions, and Anthony, since he does own the podcast, is going to be stepping in whenever he wants to in order to clarify matters or ask whatever ignorant question he has about <laughs> COVID, because we are all ignorant. We are all learning, even Knut. Very true. Knut, I want to ask you the most basic question. What is herd immunity? Well, with most, if not all, respiratory diseases, uh, if the disease enters a population, it starts spreading, but then people get immune. So after about two weeks of being infected, you turn immune. And once half of the people are immune, the virus has a problem spreading any further and the epidemic ends. And that is herd immunity. Yes, it's often been called uh, community immunity or, uh, you know, popular immunity. Uh, and, uh, you know, because people don't like to be, think of, be thought of as being part of a herd. But isn't it also true, Knut, that people uh, often have prior immunity 
cross immunity from their T, uh, and they also have T cell immunity. So it isn't just that they are directly infected and then become immune. Isn't that correct as well? That is correct. Um, I didn't say they all have to get infected. They only have to get immune. So 25% of people uh, typically have already cross immunity from other uh, respiratory disease virus infections. And so it's only 25% that need to get immune uh, to uh, have herd immunity. I see. And did you observe herd immunity in area, any areas of the US or Europe or anywhere else you want to travel to uh, with this uh, discussion of herd immunity? Did we have herd immunity anywhere? Oh, we had it in Wuhan. We had it in South Korea. Uh, we have it in Sweden. Uh, we had it in the northeast of the United States. Uh, wherever the virus comes before people start mitigating, uh, it ends by herd immunity. I see. And did we have very fast in in the northeast generally? Uh huh. And uh, did we have it in New York City? Definitely. Yes. Because I we see. had now several months where probably where nobody died, nobody got infected anymore. The proportion of positive tests among the tests that were done was below 1% and most of the time below 2 at least. And that means that even in a city where people are coming from all parts of the world and bring virus because some of them are infected, the virus didn't spread. That is herd immunity. So people coming in who are infectious don't infect more than maybe one person, uh, but it never starts an epidemic again. Yes, if I understand you correctly, then if like 50% are immune, then if, uh, if you and I are in a crowd of people, then, uh, then somebody who's infectious might be on one side of the room who could infect somebody on the other side of the room, but there might be between them a number of people who are immune sort of blocking the way. So, so that means then that the virus might spread a little bit, but it's much, much diminished. And then ultimately the virus has no host to live in and it dies. Is that right? Would that yeah, be a fair it doesn't find, So if, the vir if a virus can't find anybody susceptible within, let's say an hour or so, then the, it will just integrate and there will be no infection. Now, we do seem to be experiencing second waves, even to some degree in New York and the Northeast, uh, second waves in Europe, second waves in other parts of the US. And what do you attribute those second waves to? They're very different phenomena. The first is uh, the difference between New York and the Midwest is it took quite some time for the virus to get to the Midwest in the first place. Uh, the other thing is in the South, it took a bit longer than to come to the Northeast. And that was enough for in the South, the lockdowns to start before the virus was there. Mm -hmm. And so in the South, the spread of the virus was delayed. While in the Northeast, the virus was there first and the lockdowns didn't start until the epidemic was all already mostly over. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why we have very different dynamics in different parts. And more recently, what we see is uh, 
and that's what you may be referring to, that we see a small increase in New York as well. Hello, are you still there? Yes, uh, my the light goes on off automatically, so I have to wave to get it back on. Go ahead, yes. <laughs> Um, what you are referring to is that we now have, an, after several months of no new infections, we see a small increase in infections, and I attribute this to a new virus uh, arriving that was bred in Spain during the lockdowns there, where the virus had enough time to go through several escape mutations in different people and finally a strain of viruses arrived, uh, emerged that was resistant to human immunity and humans had to start again to build up herd immunity. Yes, to put a fine point on it, you, you attribute uh, the, uh, what we might call COVID-20 uh, COVID-19 is what we supposedly are being afflicted with, but you say it's basically COVID-20, and you attribute it to the very thing that is supposed to help, the lockdown. You believe, apparently, that the lockdown in Spain gave the virus time to mutate, is that correct? Oh, and into COVID that, is, that is correct, yes. And I, I can see. give you a very simple example. If everybody would become infected at the same time, then each virus strain circulating would have only one chance to mutate. And we have enough antibodies to deal with individual mutations. But if, but if the curve is flattened, it could be that one strain of viruses travels through six, seven, eight people over a couple of months. And then it can acquire over time several escape mutations until uh, all of the antibodies we have are useless and the virus can spread. And this is what we see right now in Europe. Uh, we have in Europe, we have an epidemic that is indistinguishable from what we had in March and April. So this is a new virus spreading, except the, the novelty is that this new virus uh, is very similar except for the six or so escape mutations. Uh, I heard you murmur something, Anthony. Did you want to step in, make a comment, ask a question? Anthony? No, I just think that's absolutely remarkable because we've been told, well, anyone who's been on Facebook in the trenches that the lockdowns have saved lives and um, there's articles come out in mainstream publications saying millions have been saved by the lockdown. But... Um, the only ar argument I could say is, you know, if I come in, your, in as your financial advisor and I, I say, look, I'm going to save your company millions of dollars and then, uh, you, uh, we, or, uh, then you, you lose $5 million. And I say, yeah, but you would have lost $100 million if you hadn't got me in the company. Like that seems to be like about the, um, about analogous to what I've seen because the, speculation on how many people were going to die was so high. Now, what you're telling me is not only have the lockdowns not saved as many people as they claim, they may, in fact, be responsible for these, what we're being told are second waves of COVID-19. But if I'm to take what you're saying, you're actually telling me that these are the first wave. 
of a new of a mutated form of the virus COVID-20. Is that right? Yes. Oh. Now, you see, uh, the analogy is the lockdowns are also preventing from the sky from falling down. Right. And the proof of that is that the sky didn't fall down. Yeah. Right. 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 That's a good analogy. Yes. Well, so uh, uh, we would not have had a second wave and we would have had many fewer deaths in the first wave if we would not have had a lockdown. Number so, one, without a lockdown, uh, the governors, including the New York governor, would not have sent infectious seniors into nursing homes so that they could infect others, uh, causing about 40% of the 200,000 deaths in the first wave. And the other thing is, if we allow the vulnerable to wear masks and do other distancing while everybody else lives a normal life, then the virus spreads among the young and healthy and very few people die. If the young and healthy also wear masks, then the whole thing takes longer, but you take away the advantage that the vulnerable have. And if the vulnerable don't have the advantage from wearing a mask and distancing, then what happens is a larger proportion of the vulnerable dies. I want to go back to uh, one point uh, uh, that you made earlier, Knud, and play devil's advocate for a moment. Um, I gather you were, with respect to the evidence about the mutation coming out of Spain, is it right so far that you were citing a paper that was done by a number of epidemiologists uh, recounting that the six, uh, the six cycle mutation has come out of Spain. You said that's, that, that evidence was already produced independent of you. Is that correct so far? That is independent. This group has been very careful and they said, well, it could have been traveling that spread the virus. But to me, this politically correct argument does not make sense. So it came out of the delay, but then uh, in addition, now my devil's advocate question is this, uh, they have PCR testing and the PCR testing is constantly saying, well, these are incidences of COVID-19, but you're saying, no, it's not COVID-19, it's COVID-20. Uh, why isn't the PCR testing picking up on COVID-20 rather than COVID-19? Why is that not happening? So, COVID the virus is causing COVID-20 and COVID-19 differ only in these six, six or so locations where the escape mutations happened. And if, the, if PCR looks for another stretch of the uh, RNA, then it wouldn't realize that this, in fact, is one of the mutated rather than one of the original viruses. So it's being reported as COVID-19, even though if they really looked closely, they would discover, they could potentially discover that it is if a they mutation. were specifically looking for the escape mutations, yeah. they would see that it's different, but the yeah. standard PCR test doesn't look for these mutations. Yeah. I would, I, what's interesting about New York City, uh, Again, I speak, uh, you and I live in New York City, uh, not even though Anthony doesn't, but uh, we care about our city. It's been hurt badly uh, by the lockdown. Uh, and uh, it's interesting that New York City is showing uh, an uptick in deaths, hospitalizations, and, uh, and, and uh, percentage of testings, but not very much, just, just, a, just a bit. 
And why, why do you think New York City seems to be not so bad? Uh, why is that? I would expect that New York City uh, received, that a couple of people came from Spain during that period of evolution. Yeah. And that these, so the, vi the intermediate viruses arrived in New York and would help to develop herd immunity here against the newer viruses. So that process started earlier and has already in part happened. And that could explain why there are so few new infections in New York compared to other parts of the world. Yeah, I, I, yes. yeah I will add to your point. I actually heard you know, from the usual media, which of course is uh, alarmist, but then to my surprise, they're saying that, that so much of the problem seems to be coming from Staten Island. And, and I said, so that seemed to fit in with your theory. Those Staten Islanders who were sort of off the coast, who were removed, they probably didn't get the mutation the way we did, because as you know, Staten Island barely belongs to New York City. So uh, that seems to buttress your point, Knut, that it's essentially, they're killing off all the, I shouldn't say anything further, that it's basically not really affecting Manhattan, the cosmopolitan city. It's basically a Staten Island problem, even though I sympathize with those people because they too are human beings. Uh, so I, and I, I want to pick up on Anthony's remark because we are economists, Anthony and I. I know you have no interest in these matters, Knut, but I want to point out that, that the, uh, the analogy with respect to herd immunity and the way it sort of works itself out is really uh, very directly uh, analogous with Austrian business cycle theory, that, that when malinvestment hits, when the bankruptcies that hit, you, 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 if you let the bankruptcies happen and the reallocation of resources occur, then the economy can recover. But if you interfere in those bankruptcies, if you create zombie companies, if you don't let it happen, then you only delay the recovery. You see the analogy, don't you, Anthony? Isn't yeah, it very yeah. striking? It's I could see that. Yeah, I could see what, that. Yeah. It's why we Hayekians, we Austrians, sort of take to your view uh, uh, more than many do, because we understand the natural processes of decentralized solutions. And once again, I'm turning my light back on. Uh, and uh, I, I just one other comment. Knut has been sometimes vilified because he says with that slight German accent, we've got to allow herd immunity to occur. And that is a kind of a tragic sense of life that Americans can't completely appreciate. They someone think, has well, to do something. What I'm sorry, what? They always think someone has to do something. Precisely, the cavalry will come, nobody has to die. But Knut's tragic sense of life is that, unfortunately, there will be some suffering uh, before we can recover. And of course, obviously, that segues into the vaccine. The vaccine, I guess, is supposed to be the cavalry that arises, that, that arrives and solves all our problems. So let me ask you about the vaccine, Knut. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, do you think that the vaccines that have been brought out have a good chance of bringing about immunity to the virus? No. Uh, no. And uh, could you... <laughs> and, uh, could you elaborate on that point, Knut? Okay, number one is uh, an epidemic is driven by the infections, not by the deaths. The deaths are declining as they have done for two weeks in Europe and will begin as soon as the leftover deaths uh, from Thanksgiving uh, are being counted. 
if the deaths are already declining, that means that the new infections have been declining for a couple of weeks. And if the new infections have already been declining for a couple of weeks, there, there isn't much for a vaccine to do because it's already over. Well, okay, that sounds like a happy outcome. Actually, uh, may, may, may I share a thought with you, Knut? Uh, we know that the powers that be in the media are not rational. Uh, we, we know that now that uh, in the United States, in, at least, now that President Trump has been brought down, there's no longer any reason to wreck the economy in order to bring down President Trump. And so they will probably start using excuses uh, to reopen the economy uh, because it's to their benefit now. Uh, so I think you probably agree with me so far. Can you imagine a scenario in which they'll use the vaccine as an excuse to think, ah, we've solved the problem, the vaccine has ended the infections, and so let's reopen the economy. Do you think that- Yeah, that's possible. And I would appreciate that because ending the lockdowns uh, helps everybody, even if the reason for it is totally absurd. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Um, see if the people who are vulnerable to the virus, right? I know, I remember when I was at university, a friend of mine got the mumps vaccination and then she promptly got the mumps afterwards. So presumably she got the mumps from the, the vaccination, which, you know, I presume can happen sometime. Some, sometimes, you know. Um, is there any risk that the, vul the people who are vulnerable to this virus are exactly the kind of people who might be vulnerable to vaccine injury. Like I, I'm just, I say this as a curious person because I, I don't really know very much about this kind of thing, but it would be uh, okay, we intuitive have concern for some people. Two different types of viruses, broadly speaking. One is where you take the natural virus and you attenuate it. It's passed through several generations of eggs and is weakened in that process because it starts to mutate to adjust to the eggs. And then when it gets back to the human, it's not that infectious anymore in the human. So, <coughs> sorry. And then one risk group, I have a bit of asthma. Right. Um, so these viruses can mutate back. And so if you are vaccinated with an attenuated virus vaccine, then there is a chance that the virus mutates back. The vaccines that are being created right now contain only parts of the virus, so they can never actually cause the disease. So that risk is non-existing in that new technology of viruses. Other the other risks are there. One risk with coronaviruses is that the people have seen in animal models uh, something that's called antibody-dependent enhancement, where the reaction of the immune system is stronger when you have been vaccinated. Now, that sounds good because people say, yeah, oh, a strong immune system is good. But we have to remember that we don't die or get ill from the virus. We get ill or die from our own immune system, killing all the cells that are infected with the virus. And that creates a huge wound. 
And if our immune system is doing that even faster mm. or more aggressively, then this could actually cause death because we won't survive the action of our immune system. Well, wow, so this is really interesting. So the immune response to a virus involves our body killing those cells which are infected with the virus to save us from the spread of that virus. Uh, you never know what you're going to learn from guests when you have a podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, do, you, do you think, Knut, that there is a risk, uh, picking up on Anthony's drift, since... Uh, again, not what ninety-four percent of people who die of COVID have comorbidities. Uh, more than half are over the age of seventy-nine or eighty, so they're fragile people to begin with. Uh, you and I, Knut, we're over sixty-five, but we're not fragile, and uh, uh, so we don't have to worry. But uh, would these? Is it possible these fragile people are more susceptible to the ADE side effect, or you don't know offhand? It is possible, but we don't know. I see. But there's something that I think we should do. And now I'm talking about uh, what I'm doing currently as the CEO of a company. We're developing an intervention that people should or could potentially take uh, when the virus is circulating to prevent the virus from replicating too fast in the body so that fewer cells get infected and also to reduce the effects of obesity, type 2 diabetes, atherosclerosis uh, and other diseases. And if you can reduce the comorbidities and the spread of the virus, you have in the end an infection that is as severe as something that you would have if you were infected with a vaccine or if you would get a vaccine. The difference is that a vaccine has to be specific to a particular virus strain and if that mutates, uh, it can mutate away from the vaccine and then you need another vaccine. Mm. Well, the strategy where you attenuate not the virus but the support that your body gives to the virus, then it will work with any of those viruses. Yes. And I believe that you've uh, provisionally dubbed uh, this uh, nutrient uh, concoction of yours, uh, ASD Cove, ASD COV. Uh, for want of a better term, you're trying to think of something jazzier, but we'll call it ASD Cove for the time being. Now, because some gather, marketing people are doing that. Yes, I guess. <laughs> and actually, you might want to, you know, think of something. You've got a way with words yourself. I, I gather that ASD Cove consists of two nutrients that are already on the market. Uh, you can buy them through Amazon. Uh, one is called alpha-cyclodextrin. That's a nutrient uh, that I guess, uh, I guess you can even, it, it appears in bread, for example, uh, uh, including uh, uh, that kind of food. Then something called capric acid, which is in many milk products. Uh, alpha-cyclodextrin and capric acid can be purchased already through Amazon, and all you do is combine the two nutrients. Now, uh, to begin with, uh, what uh, advantage is there to your product versus simply buying alpha-sacrodection and capric acid uh, via Amazon and taking them both at the same time? <laughs> what is the advantage of your product? The advantage is twofold. 
And it was a very surprising finding. One thing is that the caprate acid to work needs to be emulsified. Yeah. And so it's fat and the longer fatty acids, they don't dissolve well and don't swim well in water. And that makes it difficult for these fatty acids to be absorbed. So the alpha-cyclodextrin encapsulates them until they get to the intestinal wall, and then they can be absorbed. So it improves the effect of the capric acid, which is known to reduce the metabolic syndrome uh, diseases that I mentioned. On the other hand, the alpha-cyclodextrin typically doesn't get absorbed from the intestine but the cabric acid opens the gaps between cells temporarily so that larger molecules like maternal antibodies in the baby, that larger molecules can pass. So the two uh, have a synergism. So their combined action is much larger than the sum of their actions, but only if they are together, tightly together. So what the patented compound does is to make sure that the capric acid and the alpha-cyclodextrin don't end up in different parts of the intestine where they can't help each other, uh, that they stay together until the very moment when that compound gets to the intestinal wall and then they can work with, together. I should, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I should uh, first of all, of course, stipulate that I have no financial interest in Knut's company. He won't give me any shares. Uh, he wants to keep them all to himself. But secondly, I have written an article for lay people called Like a Vaccine Except More Long Lasting? Question mark about his concoction, ASD Cove. Now, I gather, Knut, that what you did was you took the concoction, the combination of, uh, of alpha-cyclodextrin and capric acid yourself, and then, you, and then in a blind study, there, there were days when you took alpha-cyclodextrin alone, and you found a, very, a real difference in your urine uh, aided by a lab. You experimented on yourself, and you found that when you combine alpha-cyclodextrin with capric acid, then the alpha-cyclodextrin gets delivered much more effectively than if you take just alpha-cyclodextrin alone. Is that right so far? Yeah. That's right. And I consider this because both of these compounds are food. And actually, alpha-cyclodextrin is grass, generally recognized as safe when taken to in milk products. So if you buy, for instance, cream that you can spray on your cake, uh, there is a lot of alpha-cyclodextrin in that cream because it makes the cream creamy. Yes. So, and so uh, if you have two things that are already together, then it's a pretty safe strategy to see, well, what happens if you take them together uh, compared to when you take them by themselves. Yes. And, or, uh, them or make them a compound that forces them to stay together. Yes. Uh, you can jump in, Anthony. I'm sure that Anthony is listening to this with almost disbelief because this idea that, you know, the old home remedy business, you know, just take a little castor oil and it cures cancer, you know, right. those kinds of claims just sound pretty wild. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then here you are 
picking up on, on two nutrients that are already on the market, combining them. And you're saying that there's a fair chance that this will provide effective immunity to all viruses, including COVID viruses, and even including the common cold. So uh, this is sort of game changing. And uh, so that's why I wrote it up. But of course, I want to stress going back to what you said, Knut, that, that there is uh, overwhelming evidence that these two nutrients are quite safe. So there's no downside to taking them, as you said. And then secondly, they do have a number of other benefits that have already been proven uh, through at least uh, demonstrated fairly persuasively through uh, peer-reviewed research having to do with arteriosclerosis, uh, insulin resistance, and so on. So it's beneficial as well for that reason. And then you didn't mention Alzheimer's, uh, which of course, you know, people like myself, you know, I, I wonder, do I have Alzheimer's this morning? Did I forget something? You know, I'm 76 years old, so I'm concerned about that. Does it help with uh, that kind of uh, morbidity, Alzheimer's? Well, we always are concerned when, especially with drugs, that they could have side effects and with hydroxychloroquine, for instance, it does in some way the opposite. What alpha-cyclodextrin does, it prevents autophagy. So it stops the detoxification of cells. And a lack of detoxification of cells is one process that leads to accumulation of different things like A-beta and tau in Alzheimer's, or alpha-synuclein in Parkinson's. So if we are improving autophagy, uh, as we would with fasting, then uh, we would have the side effect that the risk for Alzheimer's is lower. I'm not sure if you would take that risk, but I would consider that. I see. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, uh, that's good news for people like me and even for people like you, Knut, even though you're only 66 and I'm 76. Uh, uh, but, uh, and Anthony, uh, for people like Anthony, once he gets to be 66. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I want to disclose something further, which is uh, something you've glossed over, again, emphasizing that these two nutrients are listed as safe, both in Europe and in the United States. They're completely approved. In fact, the European the EMA wrote a paper recommending that you take uh, uh, that you take it uh, to deal with uh, with with, with uh, if you're diabetic, to deal with sugar spikes when you eat. Is that correct so far? So that it was even recommended. So I, the alpha cyclodextrin has an approved health claim in Europe. Yeah. It can be it can claim to reduce the postprandial glucose increase in blood. So that is a condition that is of relevance in type two diabetes. Both of them uh, have been shown in clinical trials to reduce body weight, re improve the fat pro lipid profile in blood, and have a couple of other benefits. And both in the United States, alpha-cyclodextrin is explicitly approved as a carrier of capric acid. So even the compound uh, that we are proposing fulfills the criteria of the GRAS notice. Yes, um, and uh, to put a fine point on one other issue, you, you were careful in creating ASD-CoV 
to make it a mixture rather than a new chemical compound because you, it's a mixture so that you wanted the two ingredients to be essentially separate so that you weren't creating something new. Is that correct as well? Mm, not quite. Not quite. It okay. is a new compound, but it's not a new chemical entity. Yeah. It's a new compound. So cyclodextrins are rings of sugar molecules or a kind of fiber or starch. And they happen to be lipophilic on the inside and hydrophilic on the outside. So they can carry lipids through water. And so we are putting the lipid capric acid in there. And so the alpha cyclodextrin carries the capric acid around. However, they don't chemically bind. They remain separate even if they are thermodynamically being held together until they get to the intestinal wall. And this is where they separate and then are being metabolized or transported the same way they otherwise would. So they still conform to safety. And uh, I wanted to go back yes. and say, can you insist on using the, the, Okay, then one, one final uh, disclosure that I want to mention then uh, is, that, uh, is that it is possible, as Knut told me, to take two milligrams of alpha cyclodextrin and one milligram of a capric acid product and replicate the effects of what he suggested, albeit not quite necessarily as efficiently. And so that's what I have been doing. Uh, I've been taking alpha cyclodextrin and two milligrams and one milligram of a capric acid product in order to replicate that, however imperfectly, because then I could get uh, something close, something like the benefits of the product that he wants to bring out. And so uh, those who are curious about this can write me at gene at the soulforum.org, gene at the soulforum.org, and can, uh, can get interested in what I'm doing uh, until uh, Knut brings his product out on the market. So uh, with that concluding, Knut, uh, uh, we ran out of time. Uh, yeah? Yeah, I was just... Okay. Yeah, um, Knut, just before we go, why yeah. do you think people are so resistant, as even experts are so, because what you say to me sounds so intuitive. Do you have any idea of why it's so difficult to get through to people on the facts on this issue? Um, lockdowns and things. Uh, I, I don't want to speculate. This uh, gets us very, gets us close to the field of conspiracy theories, right. and I, I want to stay away from that. Okay. Yeah, that's well, fair. That's well, very well I don't well need to understood. stay away from it, Anthony. Uh, as you know, I jump in with both feet. Uh, it was, a, it was a, an, an opportunity to bring Trump down, and it succeeded. Mm. Uh, and uh, so it was a very good idea. And in addition, obviously, we were all susceptible to these kinds of fears. Uh, I have my—I have a hypochondriacal moment at two in the two in the morning, almost every every two in the morning that I have to go through. So we are all susceptible. In addition to that, as I've said, the herd immunity idea takes a, a somewhat tragic sense of life that 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 it is the only solution uh, to the problem and that the cavalry can't come and cure everything. And so uh, that's another issue as well. So can I, where do people find you? Well, my name, uh, Knut Witkowski, is not quite, not very common. So if you Google me, you can find me. 